Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, Isaiah 48, let's pray. God, thank you and praise you for another day by your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love for us and the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for these people, God, uh, devoted to come out on a Wednesday night in the middle of February and uh, to just to know you more, Lord. That's awesome. I just pray that you would meet us in this place. Lord, that you would teach us through your word. God, that we ha- would have ears to hear what you would say. And Lord, that I would rightly divide your word. I thank you for this time. We give it to you as an offering of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Chapter 48 kind of concludes this section that we've been in for a few chapters now, where God is really taking to task the nation of Israel because of their idolatry, right? This is all prophetic, these last, well, a lot of the book is, but especially these last five chapters or so have been prophecy given about their um, pilgrimage, about their... uh, uh, move to um, Babylon, which hasn't happened yet. We're reading about it in Isaiah, and it has yet to happen. And so this is all prophecy given. Um, and in fact, what, I, what God is talking about through the book of Isaiah is, in fact, their return from Babylon. Uh, Babylon isn't even a world power as Isaiah is writing this. The Assyrians are still the world power that the uh, Israelites are contending with, but Babylon is like on the horizon as far as timeline goes, uh, and, and God is predicting, yes, you're going to go to Babylon, yes, I'm going to give the land my rest, and yes, I'm going to uh, take care of you, there will be a remnant left in Babylon, and I will bring them home. And so that's what all of this is about, is about. and God is really challenging his people regarding their idolatry. At this point in history, God's people are not listening to God. They've they've changed the God jersey, if you would. They're not wearing. They're not a part of God's team anymore. They 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 give him lip service as we're about to read, but their hearts are so far from them. And then we've also seen through these chapters the whole small g gods on trial. Right? God is 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 contesting with the idols of the world, the gods of this world, to say, any one of you small g gods. Pick up and, and tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. Tell me what's going to happen 150 years from now. Tell me anything about the future. Tell us where we came from. Tell us something. You guys are awfully quiet is what they're saying. Oh, and, and you have to pick up your God at the God's store. You know, you have to pay for your God to be made, and you probably should overlay him with gold so that'll have some sort of value. Don't forget to nail him down, and make sure you pick a tree that isn't a full of termites when you make your God. You know, all this kind of divine irony and humor throughout, laced throughout these chapters, it's been really fun to read. Chapter 48 is going to conclude that, and then we'll get into chapter 49 as well. And, and in chapter 49, we really start the, this awesome ascent into looking at the Messiah, uh, the one who was to come. That, of course, we know is Jesus. And, and it begins in chapter 49 and, and culminates, we reach the peak of this mountain in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, a chapter that a lot of us are familiar with. And so over the next four or five chapters, we're going to see this momentum build as we look toward the servant of God, uh, our Messiah, Jesus. So let's pick it up in Isaiah 48, verse 1. You with me? Let's go. Hear this, 
O house of Jacob, who are called by the name Israel. Now that's an interesting way to start this, this section or this chapter, but, and we'll dive into that in just a second. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, they make their oaths by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. So he starts by saying, all right, everybody listen. Everybody pay attention here as God is preparing to speak. And he says, O house of Jacob. And if you know Israel, uh, the, the history of Israel, you know that you know, Abraham um, fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob, if you know the story of Jacob, was, it was his, his birth name was given, it was given to him, which is Jacob. And that means a heel catcher. That's the name Jacob. It's a, it's a, he was a trickster, if you would, and, and he lived up to his name. He was appropriately named. But something happens in Jacob's life where he ends up meeting the angel of the Lord one night and actually wrestling with him. Uh, and, and the angel of the Lord puts his hip out of socket. Are you guys familiar with this story? And at that point, he gets a new name. God says, I'm no longer shall I call you Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. And so he changes his name. And that's not just like, you know, changing a, a, a name just for the fun of it. The names mean something. And so he changes it from heel catcher to Israel, which means governed by God. And, and that's, it, that was to mark his life from that point forward. And then, and then his name, Jacob, changing to Israel, and then Israel fathering these 12 sons, the 12 tribes of the nation that, became, that came from Jacob. The people were called Israel, is what God says there in verse 1. <laughs> but they weren't governed by him. They, didn't, they weren't living up to the name at the time. They paid him lip service only, right? That's what it says there in verse 1. They make mention of the God of Israel. They swear by, oh, I swear on a stack of Bibles, but I have no idea what's in those Bibles. That's kind of the idea. Not in truth or in righteousness. How many, but just by a show of hands, how many of you like fake relationships? right? Everybody has them. Everybody, 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 you know the person where you're like, oh, here they come. <laughs> and you put on airs and you're like, hi, how are you? I really don't care. Uh, good to see you, you know, and, and that's, of course, nobody sitting around you or nobody in this church that you would ever do that to, right? But you have those relationships that are just kind of, at least if you're not fake with them, they're, you know they're being fake with you, they don't care about you at all. They're just putting on these airs. Nobody likes fake relationships. Well, guess what? God doesn't either. God, God isn't interested in your lip service. He wants a genuine, heartfelt relationship with you. And if we're only paying him lip service, if as they were, what, what is that to God? I mean, that's worthless, right? We would value that as worthless. Why wouldn't he value that as worthless as well? For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. He's saying, and <laughs> I love this, this little sentence. He's saying, look at the history of prophecy. <laughs> Think about that for a second. 
as, as he's writing in Isaiah, he's saying, look at the history of prophecy. Look at my track record is what God is saying in this moment of all those things that I've declared that have already come to pass as he's saying it in Isaiah. And of course, Isaiah is a book full of prophecy that would ultimately be fulfilled most of it in the Messiah to come uh, and even in the second coming of Messiah. But he's saying in verse three, look at, look at my track record. It's perfect. And that's the big distinction between big G God and little g gods is big G God, our God, Jehovah, is able to speak about the future, able to tell us what is to come. And his track record is perfect. He knows the end from the beginning, the word would say. He is able to tell us exactly what looks ahead. Do you, do you know what's going to happen to you tomorrow? You think you do. You have an agenda on your calendar. But is it really going to turn out that way? How often do your days turn out exactly the way you planned? I would guess never, if you're honest. Uh, I know mine never do exactly the way I plan. How many of us can predict the weather? Well, it's supposed to get up to an inch of snow tomorrow. Yeah, but how much will we get exactly? And I don't mean exactly like seven-tenths of an inch. I mean exactly how many snowflakes are we going to get? God knows. He's able to predict those things. As, as we talked about this, you know, and kind of put it into perspective, God's writing this in Isaiah 150 years before it happens. That's like us predicting who would be president of the country in 2166, right? We have no idea. We have no idea if we'll be a country then. I, I keep saying Moldova is going to take over, you know, and, and, and we're going to rule America, you know. I don't know, just saying. But that's, that's what separates, and that's the distinction that God has is that he's able to tell us what is around the corner. Verse 4, he says, because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. So does that sound positive <laughs> as, as he's calling them these things? You're, you're, you're obstinate, your neck is an iron sinew, and your brow is bronze. That's probably not a compliment. <laughs> that's Hey, you're hard, you're, you're, you keep pressing forward, no matter what you run against, that's not what he's trying to say at all. In fact, John Corson really said it best. These people carried the names, name governed by God, but in reality, they weren't living that way. And then it kind of hits home. So too, lots of people carry the name Christian. They don't act anything like Jesus. And so one of the things as we read this Old Testament story about a, a people that we don't know very little about is we need to bring it into our lives and bring it home to our house and say, am I like them? Oh, I'd never be like them. But often we are like them. And, and we need to own that at times and recognize that we're the, we're the obstinate ones. We're the you know, one with the neck of iron or the brow of bronze. We carry the name Christian, but a lot of times we don't act like Jesus. And so before we go pointing fingers at the Israelites here in Isaiah, we need to make sure that we understand that the Lord speaks to us through these things as well. Verse 5 says, even from the beginning, I've declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you. Lest you should say, my idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. God's like, 
owning the credit. He's taking the credit here, and rightly so. He's telling them about their deliverance from Babylon before they're even taken to Babylon. He's like, I've got this all worked out. Yes, you're going to spend 70 years there, but yes, you're going to come back. And he's writing it so that that their eyes might be opened. Not now. He recognizes they're not going to open their eyes now as he's writing this, but while they're captive in Babylon. He's going to write it beforehand so while they're in their captivity, they can read these words that had been written 150 years before, and they said, oh, God told us, and we missed it. Our forefathers missed it. But now we see. You've heard, he says in verse 6, you've heard, see all this, and and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day, you have not heard them, lest you say, of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear. Surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb." Jesus says, as he's, he's teaching uh, on the seashore of Capernaum and elsewhere, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And at this time, these verses 6, 7, and 8 are telling us the people of God did not have ears to hear. Right? Verse 8, surely you did not hear. Surely you did not know. They'd turned their backs on God. They had, 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 had walked away from him, that, him despite all that he had done for them. It's really a sad picture when you consider how God had provided for them. I mean, 40, uh, so, so this is relatively simple thought. Or, sorry, let me back up. This is an amazing thing, but it's relatively simple. 40 years in the wilderness, and their shoes never wore out. I buy decent shoes. Well, no, I don't buy any shoes. I, I, I get shoes, um, and I don't steal them or anything like that either. My shoes come to me through, actually, my mom takes care of my shoes. And I don't know why, but she does, always has. And she buys decent shoes for me. I get decent shoes. They last maybe six months. Maybe if I, I take really good care of them, I get a year out of them. 40 years in the wilderness, and their shoes didn't wear out. What about the baby that was born, you know, at year one? And did their booties get bigger as they (laughs) grew? (laughs) I just, you know, they got little white booties to start and big white booties to, (laughs) I I don't know. I'm just saying, 40, 40 years, you know, they don't, sorry. These are the things I think about when nobody else is here, when it's really quiet. <laughs> Their shoes didn't wear out. That's amazing. And that's just one of the things. He provided food. Think about that. Two million people providing food for two million people in the wilderness. God gave them manna every day. When they got thirsty, he, he brought forth water from a rock. He delivered them from Egyptian slavery. He saved them. God provided for them time and time again, and now here they are in the promised land, and their hearts are far from him. That's a sad picture, but it's a good reminder because you and I can do the same thing. How much has God provided for you and I? How many of us ate today? We have a roof over our heads. We have cars to drive in. We have jobs to go to. 
We have income, we have family, we have friends, we have a place that we can worship. And, and, and God has provided all these things for us. And sometimes we can forget all that he has done on our behalf. Verse 9 says, For my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. This is remarkable to think about what he's saying here. Rightly would he pour out his anger. I mean, the people of God have done an offense. They've turned their backs on him. And that it would be right for God to pour out his anger on his people. Yet one of the characteristics, one of the attributes of God is that he is a God of love. And for his own honor, for his own name, he withholds, he doesn't pour out his anger, like he says, to honor his name. I don't know all of you well, but I can venture, I guess, to say that all of you have been hurt by relationships. That somebody in your life at one point or another have, um, have burned you, have hurt you, you've been um, angered or upset or, or literally or, or uh, um, deeply hurt because of a relationship. And when that happens, I don't know, I, I, this is the way I would respond when I've been hurt. I know I've done this in the past, and I'm guessing that you have as well. Our, our response is typically that we would be more guarded with the rest of our relationships, Right? When we've been hurt in one relationship, then we start to hold other people at arm's length. And we we don't open ourselves up to them as much. We we, we hold them away and we we guard ourselves so that we don't get hurt again is the thought process. You know what? God never does that. Despite how many times he's been hurt. He never holds anyone at arm's length. He never, he never keeps anyone at bay, despite how many times he's been hurt by us. He is always vulnerable. His love leaves himself vulnerable that you and I can come into his presence. And that's what he's saying here in verse 9. I should be angry, but because of my love for you, I'm going to restrain it. I'm not going to cut you off. He says in verse 10, I've refined you. Behold, I've refined you. Not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. Remember, these fires are are, are refiner's fires in order to remove impurities. He says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. How should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. And rightly so. Why should he give his glory to another? Why, Why would he put up with us worshiping other gods? or placing our affection in, a, in a, a, a perishable thing. He shouldn't give his glory to another. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, and this is familiar, I am the first, and I am also the last. He's saying, hear me. That's his cry. Please listen. He's, he's calling out to them, and then he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega here, God the Father does. And Jesus repeats that in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, 
and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of creation, Romans 1 would tell us, all of creation is a testimony unto God and under who he is. We can, we can see by creation, looking at creation, that there has to be a God. That's what he's saying there. I've stretched, I, I laid the foundations, I stretched them out, and when I call them, they stand up together. They stand at my defense. They are a witness unto me. And he says, all of you, assemble yourselves and hear. Who among you has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I'm going to pull you out of Babylon. He says, I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. In verse 15, he's speaking of Cyrus, the one that would deliver the Israelites from the nation of Babylon. But he's also, and you can hear this in the language, he's speaking of Jesus. Read verse 15 with thinking of Jesus. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. God will pave the way through, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Come near to me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. I like the command there, come near to me and hear this. You know what? Through Christ, we get to do that. Don't let that, never, or don't let that ever not overwhelm you. We, we have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a phenomenal thing that we should never take lightly. Through Christ, we get to come near to him. We get to hear what the Lord would say. That's a glorious thought. From the time that it was, he says, I was there. I'm in the middle of verse 16, speaking of his eternality, God always was. And then this great Trinitarian statement at the end of verse 16, and now the Lord God, that's speaking of the Father, and his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have sent me, capital M-E, speaking of Jesus. A great Trinitarian verse here to show that our God is three in one. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Do you ever think about this? There is no benefit for God in His teaching us. He doesn't gain anything by teaching us. He, he has everything that He needs. He's fully self-sufficient. There is nothing that God needs, and so there's nothing to His benefit or to His profit is the word He uses there to teach us anything. Yet he still does. Why? Well, it's for our benefit. So that we might grow. So that we might, our hearts might be further open to the love that he has for us. He does it for our benefit, like it says there. Um, Who teaches you to profit. The, The idea is for your profit. Who leads you by the way that you should go. Verse 18, Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. And your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Interesting that we picked it as well with my soul to sing tonight. When peace like a river attendeth my way. His commandments that he gives us, right? That's what he says. Oh, that you've heeded my commandments. His commandments that he gives us aren't a burden to be carried. We need to stop looking at it like this. Oh, I can't murder. 
well, maybe that, that one's pretty easy for us to set aside. <laughs> but I can't covet. I, I, you know, committing adultery is, is wrong, and, and, and even looking at a woman with lust is wrong. Oh, that's such a burden for me. No, it's not. His commandments are not a burden for you. They're the best thing for you. They're the best thing for us. For us to obey his commandments is a wellspring of peace for our lives. He's looking out for us by giving us those commandments. Obeying God is the very best thing you can do with your life. Following his commandments. I've been reading through a leadership book by A.W. Tozer, and I'm in this section about revival right now, and and, and, and he's speaking about how everybody gives lip service that they want revival, but nobody's willing to take the steps in order to bring forth revival. God wants revival too. So what hinders revival from happening? It's his people not obeying his word. It's, it's us, we could pray till we're blue in the face, but if we don't line our lives up with the, the commandments of God and follow after his ways, he's not going to move forth in his power. It's until the people of God have humbled themselves and and pursue him with everything they have to to listen to him and obey his commandments. Then the Lord pours out his blessing of revival. Obeying God is the very best thing we can do with our lives. You don't hear anything else tonight? Hear that. Verse 19, your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. He's calling them out of Babylon before they even go there. We got to keep that fresh in our minds. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. We all go through seasons of life that we would call dry times. The Christian life has these dry desert type seasons where, where we, we find ourselves struggling to connect with God, where, where we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. Um, just so you know, if you're in that season right now, you're not alone in that. They're, 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 we all go through that, the, the dry desert seasons of life. And the promise is to us, that is, as we continue to seek him, as we continue to press into him, he meets us in that desert place with the rock that flows, you know, the water flows from him. He provides for our thirst. He provides the water our souls need. But verse 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. It's a strong statement. For those that have turned their hearts from God, ultimately there is no peace. You can, you can have seasons of joy and uh, moments of happiness when your uh, back is turned for, to, uh, from God, but yet ultimately there will be no peace. In contrast to the peace given us by allowing Him to lead us, there's no peace for those who don't follow God's leading we talked about how the book of Isaiah is broken into two parts, kind of like the Old Testament of Isaiah and the New Testament of Isaiah. The first 39 books, or first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah really speak of God's wrath and deal with the Assyrians. Then in chapter 40, 
through the end, verse, uh, chapter 66, really look forward to the Messiah coming. Very similar to the whole of the Bible, all of the Old Testament speaking more of the judgment of God, all of the New Testament speaking of the Messiah to come, bro- broken exactly the same, 39 books and 27 books. But what's interesting about this second part of the book of Isaiah that began in chapter 40, you could really break it into three parts as well. Chapters 40 to 48, and chapter 48 ends with this thought, there is no peace, says the Lord for the wicked. The second section would be chapters 49 to 57, and chapter 57 ends with, there is no peace for the wicked. (laughs) Exactly the same way. And then you go to the end of the book from chapter 58 to 66, and it ends with a description of no eternal peace for the wicked. Each of of these three segments of this second half end with the same thought, if you would, that there is no peace apart from God. When peace like a river attendeth my way, we sang. When sorrows like sea billows roll, we can say it is well with our soul. All right, so chapter 49. And this is beginning the ascent of that Messiah mountain, if you would, that we're going to ultimately culminate in chapter 53, uh, where we, we read in depth of the Messiah that is to come. It says in 49 verse 1, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of his name. Huh, you guys didn't know the matrix was in the Bible, did you? Just saying. Keanu Reeves had nothing. (laughs) I thought that was an interesting translation. I think in the King James it says the bowels (laughs) of my mother. So that's better. We'll go with matrix. (laughs) That's better. But the idea, this is actually um, the Messiah speaking, that God has called him from his mother's womb. Um, God called all people to listen. That's what it says there. Listen, O coastlands. That's that's like he's calling everybody from the, the farthest parts of the world to listen, that he has a plan. He's anointing somebody from the womb. Check out, just, just as a side journey here, read verse 6 real quick. It says in verse 6, um, Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I also will give you as a light to the Gentiles. This is speaking of Messiah, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Pretty cool. So that's pretty evident who this is speaking of. But it's, there's an interesting story that in, in the 1400s, there was a mother who, I don't know if she was studying these and received a vision, or if the Lord brought these two verses, Isaiah 49, verse 1 and verse 6, to mind. Uh, but she had a vision centered around these two verses regarding a, a child that would be born unto her. Now, I don't think that she was necessarily thinking that that this man would be the Messiah, I believe that she believed that Christ was the Messiah because she names her son Christ-bearer. Christ-bearer, as this child is born. And he grows up being taught the Scriptures and, and raised in the things of the Lord. He's made aware of this vision that his mother had concerning these two verses, that he would be the one that carries the name of Christ to the, the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. And so this young man grows up, this Christ bearer grows up with this evangelistic heart to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this man goes to the queen, the queen of Spain. 
because that's his motherland, and asks for ships in order to carry out this vision to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. At the time he asks for the ships, the country, the nation of Spain was actually at war with the Moors. And so the queen replied and said, I'll give you the ships when the war ends. Well, miraculously, the war ended the next day. And, and, and Christopher Columbus got his ships and set sail with the heart to carry this message, the gospel, that was rooted in these two verses uh, in his mother's mind when this child was born. Kind of a neat story. But ultimately, these words are speaking of, that we're reading about, are speaking of Jesus, the Messiah that was to be born of a woman. These are similar words to Psalm 22, which is also messianic by nature. We read in Matthew um, that, that he would be named in the womb. It says in, in Matthew chapter 1, while, he, um, while Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for you, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So fulfilling this verse 1 of chapter 49, he, Jesus, called from the womb. It says in verse 2, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Interesting. He's made my mouth like, this is Messiah speaking. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he's hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. Uh, in my mouth is a sharp sword. Does that trigger any flags for you? It does for me. Think of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, right? The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God, Jesus how about Revelation chapter 116, where Jesus himself is being described, and it says, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Here in, in verse 2, he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. And then it says he was hidden in me, and that was, he was hidden for a time. He was hidden for this time, the time that Christ would come, and he's revealed now. But as it was written, he was hidden in the quiver. And he said, verse 3, to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The nation of Israel was supposed to be the one that would shine the light. But ultimately, they produced the Messiah. Jesus, um, oh sorry, ultimately they produced the Messiah, his name Jesus, and through him, the servant, like it says there, you are my servant, right? That's what we're reading in the book of Mark. He's glorified. Then I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. This is, this is Jesus speaking. This is the Messiah speaking. I've labored in vain. Why would Jesus ever think that? Did Jesus ever think that? I think he came close. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out on the cross. Struggling with, with what was happening to him. Now ultimately, like it says there in verse 4, my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And he surrenders to the will of the Father. 
But for a moment, it looked bleak, even for the Messiah. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. The purpose of Messiah coming is for redemption. He's bringing, bringing them back to him is what it said there in verse 5. Verse 6, indeed, he says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God's salvation through Jesus was not just for the nation of Israel. That was, that was too small of a display of love for our God to just save Israel. His love reaches to the ends of the earth. God does not just provide salvation. He is salvation. Christ is salvation. Corson said this about that verse, verse 6. John Corson, Israel's original mission was to be a light to the rest of the world, but she turned inward not wanting to be polluted by the heathen. She lost compassion and vision for them. The nation of Israel failed. But the true Israel, Jesus Christ, never lost sight of his calling. He lived his life as the light of the world and died to save all mankind. And I want to hear a warning in that. Because the nation of Israel turned inward if it can happen to them, it can happen to the church as well. And we can turn inward, and we can take our light that God has given us and put it under a bushel basket because we don't want to get our, our, our nice clothes dirty. We don't want to mix with the heathen of this world. We're not supposed to be of the world. And we can take that as an excuse to bar ourselves in and just wait for His return. That's what happened with the nation of Israel, and they're deemed a failure because of it. May it not be so with the church. May it not be so with our church. May we always have a heart for the lost. Always have a heart to see other people come to Christ. Let's let our light shine. Amen? All right, finishing up a little more. Verse 7, the, the, thus the Lord says, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him who man despises to him whom the nation abhors to the servant of rulers kings shall see and arise princes also shall worship because of the lord who is faithful the holy one of israel and he has chosen you god's favor was upon the nation of israel and that's going to be even made more and more apparent as we grow in these last days that god's favor is on the nation of israel and you know what the rest of the world is going to despise it and, and hearts are going to wax cold and, 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 and lives are going to be changed. Or, I'm sorry, feelings about the nation of Israel are going to change. And eventually the whole world will stand against it. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I've heard you. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Now the father, this is the father speaking of the servant, Jesus, saying, I'm going to give you as a covenant, right? I, I, I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people. Think about what Jesus said at communion. 
This blood, this represents my blood, which is a new covenant, is what he says. And God's work is redemption. That you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. He sets the captive free. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by springs of water, he will guide them. And I hear in that God's provision for us. We can't outgive God. I was thinking about this. What if, what if you gave away every stitch of clothing you owned? I mean, that would leave you rather exposed, right? <laughs> but for how long before God would say, I'm, I've got to take care of my child. I've got to provide for them. God always provides for us. God always meets our need. He has mercy on them. He leads them is what it says. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be taken care of. All these things shall be added unto you. God meets our needs. Verse 11, he says, I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west and from the land of Sinim. Everybody knows where that is? No, okay. Uh, I saw the deer in the headlights look there for a second. I didn't know where Sinim was either. But speaking of actually the Asian lands, and so what God is saying is I'm going to draw men from all nations, from the north and from the west, from the east. All nations would come to worship him. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. His mercy is worthy of song. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Wow. While they were in captivity, God's people could have easily thought that. The Lord's forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And you know what? Sometimes you and I can think that as well. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the, the, the things we're bogged down with that we lose sight. That, and we, 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 in our hearts, would say, maybe the Lord has forsaken me. Maybe the Lord has forgotten me. And hear this tonight. That is so not true. His love is everlasting for us. He never leaves us or forsakes us, the word would say. This is God's response to verse 14, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, but I will not forget you. Hear that promise from the word of God toward you. God does not forget us. See, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Whoa. Whoa. That's... Whoa, see, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That's a beautiful reference to how God would not and could not forget us. All he has to do is look at his hands to remember us. He bears the scars of his love. 
for us. Through all of eternity, He carries those scars on the palms of His hands. He bore our iniquity. I've inscribed you on the palm of my hand. Great verse. Your sons shall make haste, your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes, look around and see. All these gather together and come to you as I live, says the Lord. You shall surely clothe yourself with them as all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. For your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, this place is too small for me, and give me a place where I may dwell. This is speaking of how Israel is going to expand in the kingdom age when Jesus comes to rule the earth from the city of Jerusalem. It's going to become the center of attention, and, and God's way will expand They're in the nation of Israel. They won't have room for all the inhabitants. Then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I've lost my children and am desolate, a captive and a wandering and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was left alone. But these, uh, where were they? Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand and an oath to the nations and set up my standard For the peoples, they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. When Christ comes to rule all the nations, he's going to elevate Israel to truly be Zion, the city of God. And peoples from all the ends of the earth will come. Remember the the, um, verse in Jeremiah that says, you know, that that people are going to grab grab the robe of a a Jewish man and say, take us with you to 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 the city of Zion. Let's go, take us. We want to see where Jesus is at. Everybody will be begging to go there. Verse 23, kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. That's a great promise. They shall not be ashamed who wait for me. It'll never be a mistake for us to wait on the Lord. We would never be shamed if we wait on Him. Finishing up the chapter in our evening, verse 24, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous be delivered? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you. God's promise to the nation of Israel. And I will save your children. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. uh, And they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know, all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. All flesh will know that He is our God. He is our Savior. All the people of the earth shall know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Amen? All right, let's, thanks for hanging with me tonight. Let's stand, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, Lord. And Lord, when we feel overwhelmed, just like we sang as KK led us tonight, I pray that you would keep our eyes above the waves. 
that we keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, when we're in the dry seasons of life, may we know that you are the rock that brings forth water to refresh our souls. Lord, may we know that you sent Messiah that we might be redeemed from all the ends of the earth, Lord, that we might come unto you and that through the sacrifice of your son, we have a new covenant, a new way to come unto you, God. And we say you're worthy of glory. And we say thank you from from our heart, from our soul, God. We say thank you. Pray with our lives we would show it. God, I thank you for these people. I pray your blessing over them as we leave this place until we meet again or until we see you face to face. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.